0: So beyond the experiences, the impact the experience had on our psyches, Uh, I don't think there is a day that I haven't cried since I've been back. It's hard to even look at the pictures, to know what we left so many in, and yet at the same time, there's so much hope, so much hope. I stated last week, from the second day in Cambodia, I was asking the Lord with tears of anguish, Lord, what do I do with this? How am I supposed to respond to all of this? How do you even process and those two little girls, the latest in the round home, six years old? They're rescued out of being prostituted. What do you do with that? I can't even wrap my head around it. Of course, he answered, as he so often does through his word and his spirit. He gave me two scriptures, Micah six eighty. This is pretty point blank. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He also gave me 1 Corinthians 13.13. 13, So now, faith, hope, and love abide, but these three, the greatest of these is love. And I thought, well, well, those are nice, but it doesn't answer my question. And the Holy Spirit woke me at 2.10 a.m. on Tuesday morning uh, after arriving home on Saturday, and he said this to me, justice fuels faith to confront the darkness. Mercy enlivens hope that invades the darkness, and humility expresses the freedom to love that conquers the darkness. And out of all of that, I discovered that I really don't have as much freedom to love as I thought I might have had. And so I must lack humility somewhere. And I'm on a quest to find that, to uncover that, so I can be free to love deeply enough to overcome some darkness somewhere. The answer is, as it has always been with the Lord, individual men and women called by the Spirit of God yield their lives to the will of the Father for the sake of the oppressed and dedicate themselves to being light in dark places so that other individuals known as the least of these by Jesus can find their way out of the darkness into the healing love of the Father and in turn minister the same grace which they received to those who are still trapped in the darkness they once knew. The hope lies in the day-to-day work of everyday people who are willing to die to self so that others may live to Christ. And that's a powerful dynamic. That is life on mission. Anyways, a series of events began to unfold, which culminated in a dream in the night this past Monday. The first thing that happened was at the end of the second service last week, as most people had already left I was in the process of shutting down the building so I could head out to Wolfboro for the dedication service and as I came down from upstairs I noticed Eric was standing right here with a young man who had not been in the service and he appeared to be in a lot of distress so I went over to see what was happening he was in fact in so much distress that he could barely talk through his tears And finally blurted out that his life was in turmoil and out of control, and he didn't know what to do. And I thought, what a good place to be. Never feels like it when you're there, but what a good place to be. (laughs) What followed was awesome. Four or five of us gathered around him in prayer and guided him through a very powerful conversion experience and an encounter with Holy Spirit that lasted about 15 minutes. I believe he got deliverance as well as salvation. After which we invited him to join us for the afternoon in Wolfborough, and while there in Wolfborough, others stepped up to the plate, not knowing what had previously happened to him, and invited him into small group meetings during the week and other events going on, and just kind of came around him and embraced him. was life on mission and it was at work and it all kind of flowed out in a very natural sort of progression as the outward expression of Christ's life being offered through the body it's how the church should be I have my life on mission meeting on Sunday night in our lesson chapter that night was a small group, and the small group was on community. The various dynamics that are at play in any group that connects communally. But we are not any group. We're the church of Jesus Christ. And we're called to mission together to expand the kingdom of God and defeat the works of darkness as individuals compelled and empowered by the love of Jesus Christ to join together with our unique giftings, callings, abilities, visions, dreams, strengths, and weaknesses. And the place that we connect is not here, is not in the small group. The place that we connect is in the spirit. And the point that stuck out to me was that as we minister as the body of Christ in the spirit... Our connectedness with one another is heightened. I saw this at work last week as I was up in the sound booth in the second service. Uh, Scott Shepherd and his family came in in about the middle of the second song, kind of walked around the back and came up the middle aisle to about the third row where they normally go in. And Scott stepped back, and his family, you know, filed into the aisle, and he was about to turn to go in, and he, he saw Tony sitting over here, and came up and gave Tony a big bear hug, and Tony gave him a big bear hug like guys kind of do, when they're really happy to see one another, you know? And I thought, wow, isn't that awesome? Isn't that kind of cool? I said, these guys have been sitting in those seats for two years. they never done that. Why? Why did they do it? And then I realized... Uh, They're both taking the school of kingdom ministry together. And for the last 10 weeks, every week, they're pursuing the Holy Spirit together. And in that pursuit, their ability to connect as brothers has deepened to the point where they're breaking out of their norms and extending themselves to one another in ways that they hadn't been able to do before that. We need to connect in the Spirit. It's the natural outworking of another dimension of life on mission. You see, there is a natural flow of the life of Christ that can emanate from you to impact the world around you. And as it does, the quality of your life improves. The key to priming the pump that starts the flow is found in this word, intentionality. In other words begin to intentionally do things that you see God wanting us to do as disciples in the scriptures? Let me give you a challenge before I move on to the dream I had. How many of you are going to have a Thanksgiving Day dinner with your families? Let me see your hands. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Hmm? Then I challenge you to take a shopping cart and help provide a Thanksgiving dinner for someone else who, if you don't, they won't have what you will have by God's grace. So that you become the flow of God's grace to that family because his grace flows into yours in that same area. Do you see what that is? His grace is to flow through you. As that happens, you're blessing the life of someone else, but your life is being improved by the flow of his grace passing through you. Is an easy one. How many of you have jobs? Oh, good, good. Things are going to get better around here. I want to challenge you to start tithing on a regular basis. Start honoring God with the blessings that he's blessing you with. If you're a part of this community and feel like you are blessed by being here, then give in to that and help us to accomplish the purposes of God in the lakes region. The promises of God are so profound to the one who is intentional about tithing that he literally says he will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing into your life that will be more than you can contain. Now that's a flow, huh? Any of you have a tithing testimony? Mm Were you agreed to give God reign over your finances and and really got blessed by that? Yeah, I saw that. Did you have a testimony you wanted to share, dear? Did you you work that out? All right. Come on up here and share that. It would be good. Going to preach a sermon, right? <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> um, during worship, I received a message. I feel like it was for me, but I feel like God wanted me to share it. Father. Sorry, can you hear me now? Um, yeah. In okay. our hearts, we feel like rejects, like we're not accepted, and we all have worth, we're all worthy and God has molded us and shaped us into the person that we are. We don't have to change to be accepted by everybody else. I have struggled with it my entire life and I finally feel like God is like who cares what other people think? It's between me and you. You don't need them. I you need me. Thank you. I asked you not to preach a sermon (laughs) probably the best thing that's come out of this pulpit in a while (laughs) Uh, well thank you if you work hard and still can't make ends meet I gotta tell you you need to start tiling I had this discussion two nights ago with a young man who I'm kind of mentoring, not in a formal way, but just in conversation and trying to make plans for his future and budgeting and financing and all of that, and I said, so where does your tithe fit in? He said, well, I did it for a while, but then, you know, this happened and that happened, so I couldn't do it anymore. I said, now you're in a hole, right? Yep. Got to allow God into your finances. You've got to allow Him into your life. You know. Give God access to your finances and you will see His faithfulness. Commit to a Bible study or a small group. Be intentional about learning His Word. Pursue spiritual gifts, but even more, pursue the giver of the gifts, the Holy Spirit. Take risk and pray for people. Bless others with your words and with your actions. Put on Christ. Put on love. Even if you don't feel like it, make a decision to do it. And you'll begin to see blessings flow out from your life and find that at the same time, God is pouring blessings into your life. Thank you, Tony. <laughs> uh, Hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, you interrupted me, ma'am. <laughs> Not as bad as last week. This guy ran up the aisle a couple of weeks ago and started kissing my head. For <laughs> my grandkids do, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway. I better get on to the dream. We're gonna we're gonna drift here. So last Monday night, um, I had this dream. I was on a large open veranda, and I think in the dream it was that flat roof up there, on on the church itself. Uh, I was there with several groups of people from LRVC. Each group was huddled together, working intently on whatever it was that they were doing. Kind of huddled in, you know. And um, I was seated at my desk noticing that the sun was going down. And as I looked up, I could see the outline of the White Mountains against the dusk sky. There was no detail, just the outline of the mountains. But as I started to look away, a full moon arose in the sky and illuminated the scene so that I could see all of the details of the White Mountains as well as the Mount Washington Valley running south all the way down to the lakes region. It was really quite stunning. As I was about to comment to everyone about how beautiful the night looked, dark clouds rolled in and hid the moon so that the scene was just outlines again. As I was about to turn away, disappointed that everyone had missed what I saw, the glory of God came flooding in. It pierced through the dark clouds and lit up the night sky. The whole scene of mountains, valleys, lakes, and even beyond was now fully illuminated in colors so vibrant that they seemed to undulate with a life force of their own. I began to exclaim the beauty of the Lord's glory, but at first the others could not see what I could see. They could only see the outline. But as I continued to exclaim and proclaim his glory, they all began to see it, and the colors of his glory began to flow like a river from the mountains through the valleys and into the lakes and on into the whole state of New Hampshire. And the Lord said to me, even darkness is light to me, even darkness is light to me. This statement comes from Psalm 139, 12. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. As a standalone statement, this verse was very impacting to me because as soon as he said it, I realized that this is exactly how the sex trafficking rescue workers we met in Southeast Asia survived day to day. Uh, day in and day out, encounters with the overwhelming darkness that permeates the world of their ministry calling. Somehow, God has designed even the darkness to contain light. And you can almost catch a glimpse of it in uh, the creation account in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Now, it would seem that there was only darkness there, but obviously intermingled in the darkness there was light that God could see and pull it out of the darkness and make it something separate from the darkness. So for God, even the darkness is light. God can look at darkness even when only darkness is evident and still see light. And this is what I saw in the ministry workers on the field. They have the eyes to see light even in the darkest situations. And in entering the darkness, they bring forth the light. They become a source of light until they dispel the darkness. This began to answer some of the questions I came home with, but as a standalone verse, it does not answer how it works in us, only how it works in him. So I decided to look at the verse in context and discovered, I believe, some truth. Psalm 139. To the choir master, a psalm of David. So this is David in conversation with the Lord. O Lord... In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Out of the 16 verses here, 15 of them focus on David. It is some of the most me-centered writings in the Psalms. If I sit down, if I rise up, if I go here, if I go there, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame, when I, when I was being formed, but tucked away right in the center of all of that me-centered dialogue, God himself expresses his heartbeat. Darkness is light with you. You see, God knows all about me. He knows all about you. He formed me, he formed you, and originally designed us to be like him. But darkness crept in, and we lost touch with who we are and were intended to be as image bearers. Identity is the key. When you really understand who you have become in Christ, When you know who you are in him and what that means for the world around you, then you can begin to see the light that is in the darkness. Everything, every situation, every challenge is an opportunity for God to be God in and through you. This is how the sex trafficking abolitionists are able to keep going day in and day out in the midst of such horrendous darkness and human suffering. They don't see the darkness. They see the light that is in the darkness. The hope that lurks just beyond the rescued life. The joy that comes in the morning after the deep night of the soul, and isn't that the heart of Christ? Hebrews twelve two, the writer says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, and you have forgotten this exhortation. This is the key. You are sons. You are daughters of God. God.